If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be looking at what's called the parable of the talents. Uh, Contextually, this parable is, or the parable just before this, uh, there was a challenge to be ready for the return of the bridegroom, uh, to be ready for the return of Jesus, this one who's coming back. It's a challenge for us to be actively preparing, even today, for the return of the king. He was was imploring them. This is what Jesus was doing. He was imploring them, and so he's imploring us to be vigilant in our watch, to be paying attention in our expectation for the return of Jesus. Have have your eyes open and the mindset that he could come back, that he might come back and even would come back today. We We have prayed that several times over the course of the last few months, that that we never get to move into the new building. I would love to have painted all day yesterday. I would love to have driven to Charlotte to pick up chairs to never need them because Jesus has come back and we get to go to a much better church than we could ever dream of being when he returns. I guarantee you the chairs will be better there. As his people, we have to have a true and and like a palpable longing for him to come back. We have to cultivate that in our hearts because we naturally want to hold on to this world. It seeks to ensnare us. There are things there that we, we say, yeah, I want Jesus to come back, but not yet. Jesus is telling us, be careful with that. You're hanging on to something that's, that's never going to satisfy you. It's more than just be prepared and, and be active in our waiting. It's, it's more than just vigilance. And so Jesus is going to tell us another parable. He flows right out of that one into this one. So he says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And that brings us to verse 14. So stand with me now. Let's hear the voice. Let's hear the voice of our returning king. He said in 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap? where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? 
Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is a hard teaching. And you knew that when you said it. And so we pray now that you would speak, that you would move me out of the way, that you would move the surroundings out of the way, that you would, that you would evaporate whatever distractions we came in here with today. Whether it's family or work, whatever it is, God, we want to confess that we brought baggage in here today that we need you to remove. And so I pray that you would, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we might see you. I pray that you would give us ears that we might hear you. And I pray that you would awaken our souls this morning that we might draw near to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we see, we see the connection to the previous parable uh, pretty quickly. Right there in verse 14, we begin with the words, for it. That, that's how it starts, for it. And if we didn't know the context, we might rightly ask, what is it? You see, that's why you can't just take a passage and pluck it out of the Bible and, and separate it from the context around it because we wouldn't know what it was that he's talking about. And so we look back to verse 1 of this chapter where Jesus began. And we can see there that he said, the kingdom of heaven... The kingdom of heaven was the subject. We understand that this parable is to be, this parable is to be taught as sort of a and another thing. Jesus has taught something, but he's not done. It's, it's another thing I need to tell you. It's like when you, it's like trying to explain something to a child. You know, you don't tell, you don't tell them every detail right out of the gate. You have to build it a, a little at a time. I, I've had I've had the privilege of, I call it a privilege. I've been the dumb guy who signed up and said I would do, uh, who would coach his son's soccer team for the past couple of years. Uh, and, and so there's a couple of us who've been doing this together and, and, and we, we enjoy it. It's, it's a great time, but we don't, just, we don't just throw the kids out there and say, play soccer. Uh, you, you can't do that. You can't just throw them out there and say, play the soccer. No, we, we, we teach them, right? Piece by piece. So they hear the rules of the game. You know, here's what you're allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do. We, we teach them put the positions on the field. Here is where you should be. And this is how it, how it works when you move around. We, we teach them what they're supposed to try to accomplish from their positions on the field. You see, we build it piece by piece until by the last game of the year, usually it looks like soccer or some, something similar to soccer, right? You don't tell them every detail. You have to build it. We add a piece at a time in hopes that, that when the puzzle is completed, and they might be able to eventually grasp the whole. And that's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 25. He's doing that exact same thing because he knows that we, that we can't take it all in one bite here. He, he wants us to understand and to have a picture of the coming of the kingdom. And so he's laying it out piece by piece. He's building it. He's building this it for them. He's painting a portrait of the kingdom with just one, one brush stroke after another so that they might be able to understand what it looks like. He wants them to know. Now, he's not telling them when it's coming. You need to know that. 
He's not telling them when it's coming, but he's telling them what is coming so that they will know it, right, when they see it. He wants them to be in anticipation of something very specific. And so he says that it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Okay, so now we're into the parable, right? Now we're into the parable. There's a man going on a journey. It says that he called his servants and that he entrusted to them his property. And so we know that this man is of supreme importance in the parable. Whatever whatever we are going to learn about the kingdom of heaven, whatever Jesus wants us to know about it, we're going to learn through this master in the parable. And we know that he's not just a regular guy, all right? He's not just a regular guy. This, This is a man who's referred to Uh, In this parable, by the title of master, he's called that a total of 10 times, 10 times just between verses 18 and 26. And so we ask then, who is this man? Who who is this master? Who are we to understand that this is talking about today? And from our vantage point, sitting where we are in 2018, we can look back and answer with confidence that the man going on the journey is representative of none other than, than Jesus himself. He is, he is the Lord. He is the master. We know that he's going to go away and we, and we trust that he is going to be returning. And so we know that the master here is, is Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't often make himself the principal character in his parables, but this one he does. Now look back at verse 15. Look at 15. In 15, we see that to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Okay, when we, and by, by we, I mean when our, when our family, uh, when we go to the grocery store, it's not, a small, it's not a small endeavor at this point. All right, uh, and, and most of you, if you've got a young family, you know that. Uh, we, have, we, have this, we have a growing crew at our home, right? And so we, uh, we also have people in our house usually a couple of times a week. We're, we're generally feeding a couple extra mouths. And so when we go to the grocery store, we, we load up. And, it's, and when we come home, it's like an all-hands-on-deck operation to get the stuff into the house. And so I, I grab, you know, a couple of couple of bags and then Laurie will grab a couple. Mama always grabs a, a couple of the ones that we don't know we don't want to break, right? And then, you know, the, then the older kids get a couple of the other ones. Our four-year-old, he gets paper products, right? I mean, that's just wisdom. You don't, you don't set him up for failure. <laughs> Jar of pickles or toilet paper. He's getting the toilet paper every time. And normally it makes it to about the steps. But everybody has to participate in this process, that they're all giving a task. They're all, they're all giving assigned a responsibility based on their ability, based on their ableness, what they are able to do. The, the text right here, this is what, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this parable. He says they're given, uh, it, it reads literally, according to their power. According to their power. So the master has an understanding of what each servant is able to to handle. He, he knows them. He knows them personally. And in this case, the servants are given talents. A, a talent is just a unit measurement for, for money. That, that's all it is. Um, in this case, they're, they're given talents. Uh, it's, a, it's a measurement that's, that's based on whatever the material is. So it's a way of weighing it. So it, it's, it depends on whether it's gold or silver or, or, or something else. But it, the, the reality is that it's more than just a significant amount of money. Uh, to give a talent is to give a lot. When we, when we read this, uh, it should cause us to think back to, back to other parables where Jesus has used that. What we need to understand, though, is that the, the talent belongs to the master. 
It's his property who entrusted it to the servants for them to use according to their ability, according to their ableness. So just like our kids with the grocery bags, he's not going to give them more than they are able to handle. And that's important. And here's the first point that we see, that the talent is given with an expectation. Since he gave to each according to his ability, it is abundantly clear that, they were, that there was a purpose behind what the master was doing them, giving them. He is entrusting to them work to do. And the fact that the value of the talent here is, is, is extraordinary, is ought to, it ought to communicate something to us. A talent is a lot. He's entrusting them with a lot. And it connects us back to that parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. We looked at that one a few weeks ago. And that parable, the servant, you remember, he owed his master 10,000 talents. That's the only other place in the New Testament where that figure is used. He, he owes the master 10,000 talents. It says in Matthew 18, 27, it says that out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And that's what we said was grace, right? We said that's grace. He, he owed a debt and the master canceled the debt. That is, that is grace. You owe a debt, but I'm canceling that debt. It's canceled at great cost to me. I'm not going to get that money back. That's grace. But then the servant who had been forgiven this monumental debt, this insurmountable debt, he turns around and refuses to forgive his fellow servant who owed him just a little. You see, that's the law. That's all. We have the grace on one side. We have law on the other side. that's, That's not grace. That's law. That's you owe me. You owe me. Pay up. That's the opposite of grace. You see, in that parable, the master representing our God, he was willing to forgive an extraordinary debt at great expense to himself. Remember, grace is always, always costly. We call it a free gift, and it is free for us, but it costs the one who gives it. It costs the one who gives it. When sin happens, someone always loses But the grace of God is that Jesus is willing to lose on our behalf, right? So now in this case, in our parable today, we see that beyond the grace of forgiveness that's given, uh, there is the promise of gifts to be used. That's what the talent represents. It represents the riches of God entrusted to his people, to his children, to steward for his kingdom. It represents, I want to make sure we get this, it represents the riches of God entrusted to his children to steward for his kingdom. Those who are in Christ are now his brothers and sisters. We are his spiritual siblings. That's what it means. It means we are members of his family and every family has expectations. Being a part of any family means that there are both rights and responsibilities. So let's look at how they handle these things. Look back at verses 16 through 18 real quick. He who had received the five five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Okay, so let's, let's reset just a little bit. The master has gone away. The servants have the talents, and we see here what they did with those with those talents. We're told that one, the one with the five talents went and traded with them. He went, he went, and, he went to work. That means that he, he went to work with what was given to him. How did he go about it? Did you catch that? Don't miss that in verse 16 because we're not just told that he went with the five talents. We're told that he went at once. He immediately went to work. 
He immediately got to work with it. And then verse 17 says, so also he who had the two talents. You can see there's an intentional level of, of urgency being described here on the, on the part of the first two. They, they didn't delay. They got immediately to work with what would have been entrusted to them. They're demonstrating a sort of strategic entrepreneurial spirit as they, as they set off to work. Like they're being creative in this. Those are the first two servants. But then verse 18 makes a distinction with the first word. You see it there. It says, but. The first two did this, right? They went to work, but. When we hear that word, our ears should always take notice. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now that's different. Now he went and did something, but he didn't go to work with it. He went and hid it. In fact, he went and dug in the ground and buried it. The first two got to work stewarding the talents with which they had been entrusted. They traded, they worked diligently. The third servant, he went and hid that which had been entrusted to him. Now look back at verse 19 with me. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much entered into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. There's a change of scene that just took place. The master is now returned. We don't know how long he was gone, but we, we do know it was a long time. And in this case, it's describing that the gap of time between the ascension of Christ into heaven and the return of the king at the second coming. And now at this point in our parable, he has returned. And we see the interaction with the three servants. The first two come and present the original talents back to the master along with what they had made through their labors. They, they, they went to work, and they have, they have profited. And he offers them a twofold reward. Look at the first part. The first reward is simply that of encouragement. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He's praising them. He's pointing out the good things that they have done. The, the word there for good is, is agathos, all right? He's, he's, it means that you've done what you were meant to do. You have done that for which you were designed to do. It's like when you, when you turn on a light switch, when you flip up the light switch and the lights come on. Now, you probably don't stop and praise the light switch, but it has accomplished that purpose for which it was designed. See, you were designed, you were designed with a purpose too. You were designed for a purpose too. He says to these masters, well done, good and faithful servant. You have done that for which you were designed to do. And he doesn't stop there. He also says that they're faithful they're faithful and that he's saying that they're dependable. This isn't really so much about saving faith, although that, that seems to be implied in there, but he's talking about their faithfulness as workers. They're dependable. They're reliable. He's saying, I can count on you guys to do what you're meant to do. To be faithful is to be more than just trustworthy too. It's to be, it's to be full of trust. They believed that, that what they were doing was exactly what the master wanted them to be doing. It's like a teacher who, I don't know that many teachers do this unless this is the actual test, but it's like a teacher who gives out the test to the class and then leaves the classroom. 
And we know what will happen, right? I mean, immediately some of the kids, the teacher's gone, they're going to start acting up. They're going to play. They're going to entertain themselves. It, it will become the moment of seeing if the pencil will stick in the ceiling or, or whatever kids do these days. They'll pull out their phones, I guess, probably. Um, they'll Instagram that the teacher's gone. I don't know what kids do today in school. But anyway, that's, that's probably what it looks like more than the pencil game that I used to do. Um, that some of the kids will still cheat, right? This is an opportunity. Teacher's gone. Where's the smart kid? I had a friend in, in school. He's the smartest kid I've ever met in my life. You wanted to sit by him because he always said the answers out loud. We don't know why. It was just the most beautiful thing to be seated next to him. <laughs> if you were doing geography test, he would literally go, South Carolina, Columbia. I, was, I just remember that from the capitals. That's how you know I'm not lying. I'm seeing that play out in my mind right now, fourth grade. Sorry, that's too much. Some of the kids are going to cheat. They're going to immediately drop in and start cheating. This is how I can get the advantage, right? And then there's going to be a few kids who they're going to immediately start working on the test. They're going to immediately get to work, doing exactly what they're supposed to do. To those kids, well done, good and faithful servants. This is, this is the idea there, that the master has gone away, but that doesn't mean the work doesn't have to be done. Well done, good and faithful servants. The second part, and this might not feel like a reward at first, is that the master entrusts those servants with more responsibility. So the first is that he encourages them. Well done. The second is that I got more work for you to do. He says to both of them in verses 21 and 23, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Understanding as we do that a talent was of extraordinary value, especially to a servant. The master here refers to it as a little. He says, I've entrusted you with a little. I'm going to set you over much. That tells us something about the vast wealth of the master, doesn't it? It also tells us something of the expectations of the kingdom of heaven. I read where one commentator said, heavenly rewards are not beds of rest. They are posts of duty. I can't remember who said that, but I thought it was really good. Heavenly rewards are not beds of rest. They are posts of duty. I'm not sure how many of us naturally think that way. Most of us don't think of it as a reward as work to do. And to be honest, it sort of strikes against my natural presuppositions about what it means to be rewarded. When we think about it, we realize that this is actually how, exactly how it works, even in our world. What, what he's continuing to do here, he's continuing to, to, to press in on the reality that the life of a follower of Christ, of a disciple of Jesus, is not about comfort. It's not about status it's not about position. The, the life of a follower of Christ is a life of labor-intensive, diligent work for the kingdom. We labor because we have been given this talent of immeasurable value in Christ. We've been, we've been given something that none, none of the silver, none of the gold could ever purchase. You see, eternal life in Christ is ours and in that, we can, as he says to both of his servants, he says, we can enter into the joy of your salvation. But what about the third servant? And that's the first two. They, well done, good and faithful. Here's more work to do. You get to enter into the joy of your salvation. What about the third servant? We saw his encounter, or at least part of it, beginning in verse 24. Look, look back at that real quick, real quick. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Now that, that sounds somewhat humble. I mean, if you didn't know the guy, you might feel some sympathy for him there. It sounds almost like something we could get on board with. It's like, you know, you're great and powerful. I am small. I am weak. So I was afraid. That's, I mean, that's what he said. But, it, but look at what the master does. The master here gives us a glimpse of the true heart of this man. Look at verse 26. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. See, inflection's important there. I'm not sure I'm even doing it well, but if you look at that, you'll see there's a question mark at the end of that sentence. He's not making a statement. He's asking a rhetorical question there, and, and, and he doesn't wait for a response. It's almost as if the master is just looking at him and, and saying, really? That's what you know of me. That's who you think that I am. One commentator pointed out that this man is demonstrating a high view of God, but a very, very wrong view of God. He's afraid of God, but not in the sense of of awe and reverence that that Proverbs calls the beginning of wisdom. You see, the word translated here as afraid is the same word that we use for phobia. It's that same word. He's afraid of God like I'm afraid of spiders. I I don't like spiders, they're scary. They go and live where they are not invited. Uh, they set booby traps for you in the night. They're a devious little creature. When, every morning when I walk out, I walk through a spider web. Every single morning. I've had this ongoing battle with this one particular spider for years. He loves our basketball goal and he attaches it to my car. And he gets me every day. My four-year-old can attest to this because we both end up carrying him and we, we both walk through it. It's terrible. They have all these crazy eyes, legs, and stuff. They're just scary, right? They're to be avoided at all costs. If they bite you, you go to the hospital. You don't like, you know, I just don't, they're scared. They're yuck. I feel like I'm waging war on spiders as a species at this point, but I really don't like them. Th- that's how this guy understood God. See, I avoid spiders like I would avoid the plague. This guy's avoiding God like I would avoid a spider. That's how he's talking about the master. This isn't the awe of the Lord that is gained through repentance and faith. It's not the reverence for the Lord that comes from understanding his sovereignty and in relation to our dependency. It's not the awe that we feel when contemplating the vastness of his creation, his design, and and even his eternality. This is a misguided understanding of the nature and the character of God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the master calls him on it. He doesn't back down. Look at 27. It's almost sarcastic. It's like he's saying, if you knew that was who I am, that I reap where I have not sown, that I gather where I scatter no seed. If that's what you knew of me, then the truth is you would have taken extra care to invest what I gave you so as to provide a return. You see, he's not letting him off the hook. If that's what you really knew of me, then you would have taken action based on that, based on that interpretation of who I am. He's calling this man's bluff. One commentator said that he has cloaked his laziness behind a solemn God talk excuse. We're pretty good at that. And so you and I need to take heed here because it doesn't end well for the third servant. 
It does not go well for him. He loses the talent that he had been given, and the worthless servant was cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just a couple of thoughts from this parable. The, th- the first. The first is that we need to be concerned with the nature and the character of God. And I can't say this enough. Uh, the unfaithful servant did not have an accurate understanding of who God is and what God has done. He didn't understand him as the giver of good gifts. He did not understand God as gracious and merciful. He didn't understand him as slow to anger. He did not understand God as abounding and steadfast love. He didn't understand the word of God as the good seed to be scattered on all the soils. No, he saw, he saw God as a tyrant. He saw God as, as a tyrant rather than as a liberator. He, he understood God to be a thief, like a cosmic invader who comes and claims what doesn't even belong to him. He saw the word of God only as law. He saw it only as law and knew nothing of grace and mercy. And the result was that his fear of the Lord was really foolishness because it wasn't based on the reality of who God is. He was fearing something that doesn't exist. He didn't understand God as our good father. The second thing I want you to take away is that as the redeemed children of God, we have been entrusted with a mission and we are to be diligent in that work. You were given a treasure beyond all comparison in Christ. I cannot overstate this. If you, if you have trusted Jesus Christ for your eternal life, if you have been saved and redeemed in him, you have received the gift that no one could ever possibly begin to match. There is no toy at Target that could begin to compare to this gift. No trinket in this world that that would make you happy for a moment that could compare to the gift that you've been given in Christ. You were given eternal life. Eternal life. And I already know that you're going, that seems like hard to comprehend. That's because it's impossible to comprehend. You know nothing of eternality because everything that we know is dying. Everything that we know is broken, flawed, and dying. And you've been given a gift in Christ that stands counter, uh, in, in contrast to everything you know. You've been given eternal life. That means that you have nothing to lose. Do you know that? That you have nothing to lose. That's the position that led our church father, Tertullian, to declare that a Christian is fearless. It's a great quote from a second century church father. A Christian is fearless. You and I have work to do. We've been entrusted with the talent of the gospel. This this treasure of immeasurable value. That's what we've been entrusted with. A message of hope, a message of renewal. We've been placed in in the field of God's plan of of redemption in this world. And we must steward the gospel well. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that as each has received a gift, we're to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've been given a gift. You have. Like you personally. Had your name on it and everything. You've been given that gift. It's hard to genuinely love your neighbor well if you're willing to let them go to hell. So you've been given a mission. That's the second thing. The third thing that we need to take away and and this has been thematic as we've looked at these parables of Jesus. It's, it's that everything that you have, 
everything that you have belongs to God. Even you belong to God. There's not a soul in here who has thought for one moment to remind yourself, to remind your heart to beat. Nobody in here has said, breathe. You've been given those as gifts, countless gifts you have received just over the course of the last hour that we've been here. Gift after gift, moment after moment. Every moment and everything that you have has been entrusted to you for the glory of God and the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. Those things come with the expectation that you, that you will use them according to your ability, according to your ableness. And this changes everything. This changes everything in our world. It changes how we view everything in our world. It changes how you view your time. It changes how you view the hobbies that you choose to invest in. It changes how you view your car, your home. It changes how you view the money in your bank account. It, chooses how we, how we, it changes how we see everything in our world. Everything. All of these are gifts that you have been given, that you have been entrusted with, and you were given those gifts for a purpose. Listen, I don't know what occupation you were called into. We've got nurses, we've got teachers, we've got people who are really smart and do jobs that I've heard about three times and still don't understand what they are. Some of y'all are, I mean, flat out brilliant people. Your job title has more syllables than I can even begin to put together. Here's, Here's this. I don't know what you do for a living and it really doesn't matter. What is clear is that you are truly a child, that if you are truly a child of the living God, if you are, you have been invested with talents. You've been given the light of Christ to fight back the darkness and the indwelling Holy Spirit to serve as agents of reconciliation in this world. I went to a funeral on Monday for a good friend of mine who was way older than me. He, 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 he lived a long and good life. Mentor for me in, in a couple of ways. His name was uh, Reverend William Boozer. He had a business card. It's a great business card. Black and white, real plain. It said, Reverend William Boozer, minister and electrician. He was an AME pastor on the weekends and an electrician on his work days. Reverend William Boozer, minister and electrician. I like that. He knew which one to put first. Now, he spent five days a week doing one. He spent two doing the other. But he knew which one came first on the business card. I wonder what your business card says. I mean, I don't really care what your business card says. Here's what it should say. Whatever your name is, minister and whatever you do for a job. You see, we're to be fearless proclaimers of the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Fearless, because you have nothing to lose. What can they possibly take from you? You've been given a gift that, and you've been asked to steward that gift. Let us live as good and faithful servants of the Lord in this place, in this area, in this community. Let us walk in the hope that God will carry us through to the end, and that when we meet Him face to face, as we will, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. My prayer is that would be true of us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you would love someone like me uh, with all my flaws, with all my tendencies, with all the natural brokenness that I bring to the table. God, I thank you that you would love 
any of us so much as to send your son to come and die for us, that you would pay my debt. Father, I pray that we would walk in the light of that this week. I pray that we would be fearless. I pray that with Easter coming up and with with so much excitement about what you're doing, Lord, that we would just open our mouths and begin to share that with somebody. I don't care if they come to Rivercrest, Lord. I care that they come to know you. Help us to reorient our priorities to be good stewards of your gospel. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.